what state? Use your religion as an excuse to hurt other people. I think they're trying to like convince themselves that they're a good person. Well, in reality, they're doing the same things that everyone else is doing. When they see somebody from church out drinking or behaving erratically or something, they would show they might act one way in church and another way out of church. Christians really don't look at the Bible a lot as they used to. I believe that Jesus was real. However, I also believe that Jesus was anti-religion and he said that he wanted man to establish a relationship, a personal level relationship, not a group, not a cult, which is what Christianity is becoming or has become. Because Christians say they're going to do all these nice things in the world when they go on, they don't. They don't live up to what they're going to say. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here. Uh, to Hello to all of you and to everybody in the East Auditorium as well. For the guests, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. We're going to look at some scripture today. And as we do so, we're going to answer some of the questions on the posters that are seen throughout both auditoriums. Um, you should note that we're actually answering the one that's uh, both in, in the East and the West. It's the one on, the, on the, your left-hand side that says, um, why are Christian hip Christians hypocrites? <laughs> it's an interesting, uh, we've been in this series for a few weeks, and on the first Saturday night that we uh, started, that poster was over there, and uh, right behind me. And so when we looked up on the screens, as we looked at, kind of did a review on Saturday night of what the video looked like, it had me in the front of it with the word hypocrite right behind me. <laughs> so, <laughs> in both auditoriums, let's put the sign a little more to the right or to your left, and uh, so it doesn't look quite so blatant as to who I really am. But, but there you go. So again, it's good to have you here. We'll look at scripture, and uh, I'm inviting you to participate in our time together here this morning. I want to... Uh, take you back to an event that occurred uh, in, on March 19th in 1987. Uh, I, I know the date because you can go back and find it uh, written in history books. I was serving the church in Tulsa that we served at down there and um, a, a member from the church called up to chat about a couple of things and in the process said, oh by the way, did you hear Jim Baker resigned today? What? Yeah, he's, he had a, a sexual encounter with, with a church secretary and so he's resigned. Now, if you weren't a follower of Jesus Christ in those days, or perhaps you were too young to know about all that, 1987 now is, of course, 30 years ago. Uh, Jim Baker and his wife were television personalities who had a larger-than-life presence in the Christian community in many ways. They had a, a, um, a religious broadcasting network called the PTL, the Praise the Lord Network. It was very, very successful in many different ways. Um, they, had, they built a, a theme park around the studio. At the time, that theme park was the third largest and most, third most successful theme park in the nation, and the amount of income that came in on donations was astonishing. Right at a million dollars a week is what people were giving to that TV ministry. Uh, I remember being stunned at this revelation because um, I had met Mr. Baker on a few occasions. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, he wouldn't remember it, but um, you, know, I, you know that Leslie and I sang in a very, very lots of places around the country. And, and um, so we'd sung at PTL on a number of occasions and um, had been at events where he was preaching and I'd be asked to play the piano. 
And so he'd be preaching and I'd be the guy on the piano and they said, let's do this. And he would say, let's do this. And I'd do it. So uh, we later learned that um, a staff member for Jim Baker had arranged for him to meet this church secretary in a hotel room in Florida. They didn't know each other ahead of time. It was simply, it truly was for a sexual encounter for the two of them came together. When she realized who he was, she threatened to go public. And in order to shut the noise down, if you will, or to, you know, prevent that from happening, the ministry paid her $279,000 to be quiet. In the midst of that, as that um, became public, uh, the Charlotte Observer, which is the newspaper in Charlotte, began to do um, a series of stories that were an expose of Jim Baker's life and ministry, and it was pretty quick, quickly discovered that he'd actually run afoul of the law. He was arrested, put on trial, convicted, and sentenced to 45 years in prison. Quite a fall. For those of us who were Christians in those days, it was embarrassing. One of our own was exposed as a fraud at worst, or at best, horribly flawed. He was labeled, as you can imagine, a hypocrite. Of course, what we face with Jim Baker, frankly, was probably nothing compared to what's happened in more recent years when our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters have had to disclose the despicable actions of priests, men who've run amok in regards to um, the sexual abuse of young children, particularly of young boys. And the hypocrisy impact in that situation goes far beyond a prison sentence for a lone individual te television personality. Now we have young boys who are adults who um, they face a lifetime of memories and the trauma and the um, ongoing struggles that come as a result of that abuse. And we've learned that we have hypocrites among us. And we go, why? And how did that happen? That's what we're going to look at today. We, along with some other congregations, 14 congregations in all around the community, are trying to answer the questions that you see on the stage behind me today or in the East Auditorium on the stage there. And we're doing this in concert together over four weeks with an understanding that the questions that we've put, we're posing and that we're, the answers we're bringing are questions that people from outside the church often ask. Now, we ask them inside the church as well, but the reality is those outside the Christian faith ask them. What's with the fact that so many Christians are hypocrites? So I want to give you some answers to that today from a biblical perspective and then give you some responses to it as well. So what are some answers to this? Well, can I, can I say that first of all, all people of faith, catch me in this, all people of faith are hypocrites. If you're a person of faith, if you follow Jesus Christ, you know that. You know this intimately, personally. As a matter of fact, we know it probably more deeply than those who might not claim faith in Jesus Christ. We know it because Christians, by be one of the aspects of becoming a Christian is you have to acknowledge that you're sinful and prone to more sin. And that's not some sort of uh, a bleak outlook. Rather, it's a confirmed reality that we know, we, we acknowledge we need Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that we are in trouble. And so it's what causes us to say, it's what causes us to say, hey, can we get some forgiveness in this, some forgiveness from God in Jesus Christ? Okay, we, so we get that. But why? Why do we mess up? Well, straight up, Christians are human. You know how design does not include automation. We were not made to be robots. Robots. We are free to make our own choices and, uh, about our lifestyles, our thinking, our behavior. 
And for Christians, it's not that we mess up, we get that, but really, it's just that sometimes, some of us, mess up so very, very badly in a manner that is completely at odds with our stated beliefs. Of what, you know, we believe this and, and we, we just mess up. Well, when it comes to this matter, the truth is we follow in a long line of really strong hypocrites. We've got some history in this. I mean, people of faith who at various points in their lives all stepped away from their faith pronouncements. Uh, can, can I take you back 3,000 years? A fellow by the name of David. He was the king of Israel. Scripture describes him as a man who is, who is a man after God's own heart. It's, this guy said, however God's heart is shaped, that's how I want my heart to be shaped. But in a really bad moment, he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. She got pregnant. Her husband was a soldier. And when David, as the commander-in-chief, learned of the pregnancy, you know what he did to Bathsheba's husband? He put him, David arranged for the husband to be put on the front lines of the battle and the next military clash so that he would be killed. So not only did he have an affair, but he also arranged for the husband to be killed. Move forward a thousand years to Jesus' time, and you've got Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, and they, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, they, things are going along fairly well in some ways, and, and, and Peter says, you know, Jesus, I'm going to follow you anywhere. They're in Jerusalem when he said, Where, wherever you go, whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do. Well, it was just literally a matter of a couple hours later that Jesus was arrested, put on trial. It was obvious that he was about to be executed. And Peter, who's standing there and seeing all this take place, is, you know, he's asked to be a witness, essentially. And you know what he says? I never knew the guy. I never saw him before. What's with that? It's hypocritical. Or a few months after that, as Jesus had died and rose again and gone unto heaven and the church was established, this fledgling congregation trying to figure out how to do life together, 3,000 members right off the bat, big church. No money, but so there's, everybody's excited. So the members of the church begin selling stuff they have and giving the money to the church so the church has some sort of financial base to do ministry, a ministry base, if you will. And uh, there, are a couple, there was a couple in the church, husband and wife, Ananias was his name. Her name was Sapphira. And um, they had a piece of property. And they decided, let's sell it and we'll give the money to the church. But when they sold it, we don't know how much. They, say they sold it for $45,000. What they did was they went and then they gave some of the money, say 30000 to the church and said, we're giving you all the proceeds from the sale of our property. But they kept back, Scripture says, they kept back some for themselves. They weren't obligated to give it all, but they wanted to look like they gave it all. Hypocrites. They lied. Have you ever lied? Have you ever done something or ever thought something that contradicts your faith viewpoint? If so, you are a hypocrite. And I'd say, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Apparently, um, this was a problem back in Jesus' day because he addressed it. He said in Matthew chapter 7, if you want to turn there, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. It's going to be on the screens, though, if you don't have a Bible with you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? In other words, you, you, you've got the, you can see someone in front of you has got a little bit of dust, a little bit of, 
a piece of wood stuck right there. Whereas for you, you got a piece of timber sticking all the way out, okay? And, and why do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see more clearly to kind of help your brother with that speck in his eye. Jesus had the same problem that we have. People claim to live one way, but if you get them behind closed doors, it's a different matter. We're the same, aren't we? Some are like David. Seeking God with their whole heart, but at the same time struggling with a sexual appetite that runs counter to all they believe and claim. Others are like Peter. They plan to honor God, and they say, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever, but when the going gets rough... They're long gone from Jesus' company of followers. Others are like Ananias and Sapphira. Get a checkbook in their hands, and all bets are off regarding their ability to tell the truth. Money messes with their minds. And in the meanwhile, those outside the church, those who are not followers of Jesus, they watch. And friends, it goes this way, that when all is well, when we live properly... God uses us to draw people to him, but when we don't live well, Satan uses us to push people away from God. Because people make decisions about the veracity of Scripture, they make decisions about the reality of God, and the extent of his grace and their need of that grace, based on our choices, based on the way in which we live. I find that really scary. I really do. That you mean that person right there is going to make a decision as to whether or not to follow God and Jesus Christ based on how I live? Yeah, they do. You have people in your life who say, I don't want to be a follower of Jesus Christ because of all the, all the hypocrites who are in church. I do find it somewhat helpful in this, though, that Christian people of history are familiar with this matter. There was a guy in Scripture that really explained this really well. If you were to look at his life, you'd probably assess him to be very, very spiritual. He was a missionary, he traveled far and wide, he planted churches. We call him Paul. Listen to how he described his life. I have worked hard. I've been in prison. This is from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, by the way. I've been in prison, been flogged severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 39 lashes. Why 39? Well, the Romans had determined that if you receive 40 lashes, you're probably going to die. So let's back it up just a bit. We'll take you all the way to the point of death, but not quite there. So five times they took me to the point of death. I was beaten with rods three times. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. Where? Well, I've had danger. I've had danger in from rivers. I've had danger from bandits. In danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and taught. <laughs> this is like, okay, you want to follow Jesus? Then go to all the. <laughs> it's like, hello, welcome, be a follower. You know what I mean? And get all this stuff. And well, I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. I mean, if there was ever a guy that could say, okay, I gave up everything for Jesus. You know, I, 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 went, I went the full mile. I, I mean, I went everywhere that I had to go. You'd think this guy would be spiritual. But in the same passage that Pastor Brian had us look at last week, note what this spiritual man said about his own hypocrisy. 
He says, I know what I believe. There's some things that I, I mean, I know how I'm supposed to be, but I still can't keep what I believe. The power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. I mean, here's a guy who's been beaten with, you know, 39 lashes a bunch of times, and he's saying, I still need help. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I, I can't do it. It's like some of us on a diet, except that their implications are far worse. I decide to do good, but I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. You can hear him go, Ooh, right? Why am I like this? It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. Now, I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that all, not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. You know, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? He answers the question. I'll give you the answer in a few minutes. But he certainly lays out the dilemma, doesn't he? In a nutshell, what's he saying? Christians are hypocrites. We know it. And we struggle accordingly. And if that's the case, if we are hypocrites, how should we respond? Or if you're not a follower of Jesus today, but you struggle you're, because Christians are hypocrites, how should you respond? So in light of the fact that Scripture clearly points out this is a problem, what are we to do? Some answers to that question. First of all, Christians may remind you that others do watch us very clearly. I, I want to tell you a story in this regard. About a guy I worked with one time. His name was Glenn. Two N's at the end of his name. Um, it was when I was in college, and um, he was really old. He was probably 20, 25 years older than me. He was maybe all of 45, which doesn't seem so old anymore, but there you go. Um, uh, he and I worked it, 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 for the Dominion Bridge Company in, in, uh, in, in Vancouver, BC. We, we, that company built big bridges, I mean, like across rivers and, and big overpasses and things like that. And my job, uh, he, was, he, he was a bender. Now, a bender was a guy who would look at blueprints and take um, rebar, which is the metal rods, which is inside cement, anywhere from big gauge like that, like an inch and a quarter in diameter, down to three-eighths of an inch in diameter. His job was to take those pieces of rebar and bend them according to the shape that they were going to be required on the, on the construction site and um, be put in the cement. My job was to keep supplying him with whatever rebar he needed. So I was his helper. I'd bring the crane in with the, you know, long 15-foot 15 piece, 15 pieces of rebar or maybe just a stack, you know, a bundle like that that might be this long. And it was my job to make certain that he kept supplied. Now, he knew I was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was not. And he was the meanest guy you can imagine. And, no, I mean, it's a construction world, right? So the language is going to be different. I, I get that. But the language is always directed towards me. He hated the fact that I was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he, was, he ridiculed me, not in a fun way, but in a mean way. And I, I think some of you may have heard this, me tell this story before, but the reason that I've... I, I can't tell you how many of those shifts I remember, you know, for those years that I worked there. We started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We'd work 
to one o'clock and usually go on for another two hours at time and a half beyond that. It was great money for a college kid. 2.30 one morning, I've about had it up to here with him. And uh, I'm, I was carrying a bundle of rebar about this, this round, probably about two and a half feet long. I remember they were three-eighths rebar, straight, hadn't been bent yet. And I'm walking towards him, and again, he said something about my faith. And I remember stopping about 15 feet from, from him and looking at him for about five seconds. And I said, blank you. Now, that's not part of my vocabulary. I can't remember ever saying that in anger to anyone ever before or ever since. Um, you know what that word was, right? An F word. I don't know who was more surprised, him or me. I, I have to say at first, first glance, maybe I was sort of glad because he never ridiculed me again. Someone came up to me at the end of the, of the service earlier this morning and said, you should have said it earlier. <laughs> and I know that, you know, that one swear word in and of itself is not... Is, is not a, if you're going to qualify sin, it's not the same as, you know, David arranging for a soldier to be killed on the front lines. Okay, I get that. But I can tell you that of all the shifts working at that Dominion Bridge Company, they all are a blur except that one moment. And I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for, for my anger, for the way in which he was able to push my button, and for the way in which I let it explode that way it did. What was inside me then that might still be inside me that caused just a, some taunting to bring it out? And how did he respond to the fact that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, let anger get the best of him? He, doesn't, he didn't know Jesus. That really weighs very heavily on me. So Christians, as we live our lives, we have to be aware that others watch us. For those of you who are outside the faith, please forgive us for our moments of hypocrisy. Please get past our foibles and the times when we are inconsistent because we really are. And instead, can we help, instead of looking at us, can we point you to Jesus Christ, the one who would never change, to God who is... His primary nature of holiness is that he never sins and he is not, has no hypocrisy in him whatsoever. Because be certain of this, that if you're outside the faith, be aware that Christians have this understanding that we will strive to do better. Scripture pushes us in this regard. It says in 1 Peter, the same guy that bailed on Jesus at the, at the, at the, um, at the trial, this is what he said later on. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. And some of you may get hung up on the term pagan. Don't do that. You're saying, I'm not a pagan. I just don't believe. Well, I get all that. That's not the point of that particular passage of Scripture. Here's the point that Christians, it's directed towards Christians. We are to live in such a way that the glens in our lives, the people that we're working with at 2.30 in the morning, or the ones that we work with at the office or in whatever factory you're in or that we have in our neighborhoods or in our homes, those people... Live such a way so that those people see our lives and are pointed to God. And, and can I take on a 
put on a real strong pastoral hat for just a moment, all right? Because I think this has become a little bit of a problem in the Christian community of late. Social media. Can we chat about that for a second? I notice far too many followers of Jesus saying really ugly things on social media. Things that they wouldn't say out loud with their tongue otherwise because they're going to follow the book of James and say, be careful what you, what you say. And so because they don't say it with their tongue, sometimes I wish they'd say it with their tongue because then only those in hearing would hear it. But no, can I remind you that when you're on social media, your fingers are way more powerful than your tongue ever will be. With social media, you're critical crass, crude, crazy, crack, contemptible, cold-hearted, callous, compassionless, childish, and condemning comments are seen by thousands. And stop it! How many times have you ever heard me say that? Not very often. I'm just saying, stop it! Okay, I'm done with that now. Well, actually, no, I'm not. I can see something I did. So, one other thing I have to say. Don't add to the din and the noise of the hypocrisy on the web. And if you're saying... Well, has he been creeping on my Facebook? If you have to ask yourself that question, yes, I have. Because <laughs> again, remember this. When we live well, God uses us to draw people to him. But when we live poorly, Satan uses us to push people away from God. So when we live poorly, what should we do? We need to be quick to ask for forgiveness. Ask forgiveness from those who maybe are from those who are outside the faith, particularly who get caught and damaged in the web of our hypocrisy. And I, I want to give a very concrete example to this today. Let me say it this start this way. The scriptures are very plain about how all humans, all people, should manage their sexuality. Scriptures are plain about lifestyles of purity and guidelines that follow beyond that. There's a biblical way to practice sexuality and other ways are not biblical. Yet too often, in the way in which sexuality is practiced in our contemporary culture, that is at complete odds with the biblical guidelines. I think we all get that. But as Christians have spoken into that at times in the past, we've come off as judgmental and unkind. For example, think of Westboro Baptist Church. You familiar with those guys? Go around the country at events and complain about homosexuality. I considered showing some of their signs, showing photos, having the tech team show you photos of their signs that they put up. But frankly, I think it's an affront to so many people and is actually an affront to God, how mean and ugly and just distressful those signs are. But even apart from Westboro Baptist, those of us within the Christian community, when it comes to sexuality outside the Christian community, we've come off as judgmental for far too long. We've said, love the sinner but hate the sin. I don't think it's cutting it any longer. So heads up. Heads up, First Christian Church. This is an announcement. This is, a, this is something that's coming your way within the next few months. The leadership teams and the staff members of this congregation are examining how our congregation can speak into the culture around us in regards to human sexuality and in particular uh, with, some, with some added emphasis into how we could speak into the LGBT community within the city and perhaps beyond that. How can we do that? This is the study that we're involved in right now. How can we do that while maintaining and promoting a biblical view of sexuality? 
We're in the midst of prayer, we're in the midst of research right now, and some people are assigned to this specifically. And in the new year, we'll be bringing some answers to you as to how we're going to manage this in the days ahead. Why? Because I don't want to be a congregation like I know of so many congregations that are just burying their heads in the sand in this matter and saying, oh, it's all going to go away sometime in the future. I don't see that happening. Strong, mature leadership, strong Christian leadership that's needed, the type of leadership our community needs, requires an approach that is free of hypocrisy, full of love and grace, while holding to biblical instructions. And we believe that God is calling First Christian Church to lead other congregations to a better response. It's fair to say that if, we're, if, we're, if we say that in response to hypocrisy we need to ask for forgiveness, then I need to say, tell you, friends, the church, capital C, should be seeking forgiveness from those in the LGBT community that we have, we have spoken of and spoken to with hatred in the past. That doesn't help the cause of Christ to speak that way. When hatred is expressed toward them in some misguided attempt to hold up biblical values, we've lost the war. This congregation is going to re-engage in that discussion, in that ongoing struggle in the, in the culture but we are going to do it with two things in mind, grace and a strong, biblically-based sexual ethic that's based on purity. We're going to pull it off. Other congregations may be afraid of it, but we're going to take a, we're going to take a run at it, okay? Because there are those in that community that need to forgive the church, apart from their behavior. We've got to lead the charge in that. Here's why. Because if we expect that grace works in our lives, then why wouldn't we expect grace to work in other people's lives? Jesus said, deal with the timber, deal with the plank in your own eye before complaining about a splinter in someone else's eye. Do you remember that Jesus didn't hang with religious people very much? He didn't like people like you and me. Why? Because we get so focused on the rules that we become hypocritical. Many of us here are religious. If you're here, this is Sunday morning. Probably a pretty religious time to go to church, right? We're the type of people Jesus challenged because the religious people knew the rules, but they didn't understand grace. So may I remind us that in the midst of all these discussions and all this business of hypocrisy, we are people who say we will look to Jesus Christ. Paul, the guy who I mentioned earlier on, the missionary guy from Scripture who was really kind of maybe the super spiritual guy, but he still struggled. He had this to say about relying on Jesus. He said, you know, in the long run, his weakness over this problem of hypocrisy was probably a good thing because his weakness caused him to lean into Jesus. This is what he said. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I'm going to declare to everyone that I'm a hypocrite. Because when I declare that I'm a hypocrite, what happens? Christ's power rests on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, it's all about Jesus. Mistakes are going to come along in your life and mine. Those mistakes can push us into the perfect one who never makes mistakes, God's Son, Jesus Christ. I, can I, here's what I mean in that regard. A number of years ago, I was walking across the lobby of the church from the, like the, the main office toward the kitchen. There was no one else around except a fellow from the church who was, oh, 15, 20 feet in front of me. And he was obviously on the phone talking, walking toward the kitchen. I have no idea why he was walking toward the kitchen, but he was on the phone, and I thought, well, when he gets off the phone, I'll reach up and tap, tap him on the shoulder and say, hello, how are you? It's good to have you in the building or whatever. 
and uh, you know, kind of be a nice guy if I could. I'll try being a nice guy now and then. But anyway, so, so he, as I'm about to, to, to kind of move towards putting my hand on his shoulder, he hangs up on the phone and he lets loose in a tirade like you can't believe of language that you never expect to hear in a, in a built church lobby. Now, again, I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to walk out of here thinking, man, swearing's the worst thing. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, the, the kind of language that was coming out of his mouth is incompatible with this kind of fellow that he is. Sort of, obviously. Obviously. And, 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 and the kind of language that was coming out of his mouth, you would say, you probably shouldn't be saying that in this room, okay, in this lobby. But nonetheless... It, it just was one word after another getting louder and louder and louder. And he was completely unaware that I was right behind him. What would you do? Hi, how are you? My arm, my hand is right here to, to reach out and tap him on the shoulder. And he's angry. Something had happened on that phone. And I saw him at a bad moment. It was a private moment, but it was a really bad moment. And as just to go right here to tap him, out comes all this stuff. And I was quickly reminded of my own foibles, my own private moments of anger, my own hypocritical actions. You know, you have them, right? In those moments when you're by yourself and you don't think anyone's around. You know what I did? pulled my hand back and quietly stepped away and to this day he has no idea that I ever saw that saw that take place some of you are saying but he's sitting in the pews no he's not here today I know that why did I back off because if I expect grace in my life I need to let God's grace work in his life if God has grace for me in Christ Jesus, then I need to let have him have grace in someone else's life. Why? Well, I'll speak for myself. I'm a hypocrite. And I'm a Christian one. I'm a Christian hypocrite at that.